We are beginning a new series today over the next four weeks entitled Project 938. And with this series, we are challenging you to make something personal. And with making this personal, there's a challenge to this entire series, which is to commit to daily ask God to send laborers into the harvest. And with the 938, the challenge is to pray that God will send out laborers, starting with your, your own family, with yourself, with your with God's doing in your life. But here's the challenge. Get your phones out, either set your alarm or set your calendar to daily remind you that you're to pray. And the reason why I do the, set the calendar or set the alarm, it's really, I genuinely, I need that reminder. And when I hear the ding, 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 it reminds me to pray, to ask God to send out labor. So at 9.38 a.m. and or 9.38 p.m., we're going to commit as a local church over the next month. And we are joining together with literally hundreds of other churches across our world who are also taking on this challenge during this month. Because the real goal behind anything regarding missions is to know and to do God's will. To know and to do God's will. That's the foundation. And through the course of this month, we're going to be challenging you in regards to your prayer, but also challenge you to ask God, what part does he want you as an individual and your family to have financially in regards to faith promise missions? Now, if you've been part of our church family for long, you know that we don't push money, we don't twist arms, but we simply challenge you to say, ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And then with that, we encourage you to respond correctly. I purposely did not put these in your bulletins this week, but there are some of these cards on the welcome table outside. And these are referred to as our faith promise commitment cards. The reason why I didn't give you one this week is because I want you to spend some time in prayer asking God, what does he want you to do? And then over the future weeks, there's a place on here for you to mark the amount that God has placed upon your heart. There's also a place on the card that is for everyone, I believe, to mark, which it says, I will pray for our mission outreach. And you'll commit to pray for our missionaries and our outreach opportunities from our church over the next 12 months. Ask God, what part do you want me to play by faith? And when you place a figure on my heart and my, my mind, then I will commit by faith and I promise to follow through with that over the next 12 months. Since the beginning of our church, we've given hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of our, our church family. In the last 12 months, we've given $40,000 over and above our regular tithes and offerings directly to missions. So 100% of that goes to missions, and which allows us to support missionaries at a large financial amount and really make an impact in, in the various missionary endeavors that we support. And that begins with our Faith Promise Missions. And it begins with individuals simply asking God, what part do you want me to play? God's plan for worldwide evangelism really isn't complex. God keeps it simple. And over the course of this month, the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at four different questions to ask when we are praying God's will. And the four questions to ask are, is it biblical? Is it personal? 
Can I make it practical? And is it sacrificial? So this week we're beginning the beginning, which is, is it biblical? Because when we are praying and we're asking God, I want to know and to do your will, we don't want to know and do God's will based upon what I want it to be. Otherwise, we're praying my will be done, and God, you get on board with my idea. I have an idea, God, you make it your idea. That's the opposite of what we're praying. We want to pray God's will be done in our life, and we want to work and live God's will in our communities and our world around us. Our principle for today is this. The Bible is my guide to knowing and doing God's will. The Bible is a filter through which we do absolutely everything in our church. The Bible is a filter through which how we know and we live our lives, not just for today, but we anticipate the the future. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9, we're going to get to that passage in just a few moments' time, and we're going to read the words of Jesus, but to give you a little bit of background. During this passage of Matthew 9, this is in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was on earth and with his public ministry for three and a half years. It started with his calling and beginning his ministry with his baptism by his cousin John the Baptist. And then through that, we see the ups and the downs of his ministry. And this particular time of his ministry is a high point when he's incredibly popular. He's gathered around his disciples around him and they're following. And this motley crew of various men have a wide variety of backgrounds and they're coming along going look how popular jesus is and we're part of his inner circle we must be popular too it must be something we're doing really well as well and the scripture records the fact that the multitudes follow behind jesus and jesus was preaching to them the good news of the kingdom and he was also healing people people were coming to see the miracles of jesus christ and the disciples were given a reality check by Jesus. Jesus gave them a reality check to remind them that it wasn't about them and it wasn't about how good they are. He was reminding them about what was really important, focusing upon what God's will is. And in Matthew chapter number 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 35. We're going to see the heart of God through Jesus. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. On the screen, I have the word pray underlined. And when you hear pray, we naturally think, I know what pray is. We do it all the time. I pray God will bless my food. I pray that God will bless and protect my family. I pray that God will give us sunny weather when it's cloudy. And when it's cloudy and drought time, we pray for rain. And we pray that God will will just provide and protect and bless all the world. And we pray sometimes very empty prayers. But that word pray that's recorded right here, is not the common word pray. This is actually a a less commonly used word in the New Testament. It's only used 22 times. 
And it's a word that literally means to beg. So this is a very different attitude. This is the attitude of desperation. God, if you don't do something here, if you don't provide, if you don't send out people into the harvest, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what we're going to do. Without you, we have no hope. Maybe you've prayed prayers of desperation, begging God when you have heard news from the doctor that says, I'm sorry, you have cancer. Maybe you've received that phone call in the middle of the night that no one wants to receive, that a loved one has been injured or passed away, and you've cried those prayers of desperation, and you said, God, I need you now. If you don't do something now that only you can do, I don't know what we're going to do. That's the prayer of desperation. That's the prayer that we see in this passage right here. In the book of Luke, chapter number 5, it records a man who had leprosy. Now, leprosy in the first century was literally a death sentence. There was no cure. Not only was it a physical death sentence, it was also a social death sentence where people with leprosy were outcast out of the city and they, by the law they could not remain in the city. So when you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were put away from your family. You didn't have physical touch. You wouldn't have any close interaction with them. You were put outside and you were given a bell. And any time that someone came nearby you, you had to call out to them and ring your bell and cry out, unclean, unclean. And you imagine this man who's here. It's recorded in Luke chapter number five that he has full of leprosy. So this isn't some new thing that's happened to him. This is his life. This is how it's been and it's progressed and grown and now his body's covered in this leprosy and he has no hope and along comes Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke chapter number 5, verses 12 and 13, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. That's the exact same word as the word pray in Matthew chapter number 9. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, I have no doubt that that man, when he said it, he shouted it. And there was a passion behind those words. We can read those words in a real calm way. I have no doubt that he was desperate as he was praying this. And he was begging to Jesus, heal me. And it says in verse number 13, And Jesus stretched out his hand, and he did what only Jesus could do, and he he touched him. That man was an outcast. He was put out of society and out of the town. He physically would not have been touching any other clean person. So a clean person like Jesus touching him was way outside. And Jesus did what only Jesus could do. Jesus left heaven, the throne of heaven, and came down to the depths of earth. And he lived here on earth. And he touched the dirtiest of people, the outcasts. And he said to this man, after touching him, he says, I will. In other words, I will clean you. And he says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus did what only Jesus could do because of someone who begged him. 
the God of the Bible is working today and he's calling people. And he, we were commanded in the Bible by Jesus Christ. We're not just encouraged or, or exhorted to. We're commanded to pray that the Lord of the harvest, to beg God to send out laborers into the harvest. God is still commanding us to ask him to send out laborers. And God is still calling people to go and to be laborers. Whether it's locally, internationally, we can see that God is still calling. I have a video for you to encourage you in that. Hi, my name is Mitch Calmes, and this is my wife, Beth. And uh, we are missionaries in Tanzania for 25 years. And recently we moved up the Swahili coast to Kenya. When Mitch and I were first married in 1987, about two months after we were married, we attended a missions conference at our local church. And it was there that God really did a work in our heart. And we went forward one night to tell God, not that we'd be missionaries per se, but to offer God a free will offering of our hearts and our lives and to say, God, we don't know what you have for us, but whatever it is, we're willing to do it. As we faithfully worked in our local church doing ministry, working with missions, and giving to Faith Promise, six years later, God called us on a missions trip when we were in Mexico. He didn't call us to Mexico, he called us to Tanzania at that time. Tanzania has about 61 million people. About 10% of those people, about 6 million people, are in unreached people groups. So there's basically about 29 unreached people groups in Tanzania. Look over at the islands of Zanzibar, Pamba, and Mafia Islands. They're about 98% Muslim. The gospel is still in high need on those three islands. As you move up the coast to Kenya, there are 55 million people that live in Kenya. And of that, about 10% of those are unreached people groups. That's about 32 unreached people groups in Kenya. Pray that God will call out more missionaries. Think about Project 938. It's a call, it's a challenge to all of us Christians to pray and ask God that God will bring more laborers into the harvest. Be willing to give that free will offering of your life to God and then trust Him with the outcome. Stay active, give to Faith Promise Missions, be a part of whatever your church is doing missionally, and just be available, be obedient to God's command. The command to go is to all of us, not just to missionaries. Be willing to give God your life and see what great things He can do with it. With that challenge to pray over the next four weeks every day at 9.38 a.m. and p.m., we have a prayer guide that was in your bulletin. If you didn't receive one in your bulletin, just outside on the welcome table are these prayer guides. And with these prayer guides, we're partnering with an organization called the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, which is a missions organization that produced these videos and also produces the material. And it, with that, we have... A, a, a guide that would just help us to pray strategically as we go along through the week. There's also some QR codes that will give you some videos that will give you information about their different regions and about some of the specific needs in the various regions. And this is a help to you as we challenge you to pray so we can pray informed and also pray specifically for various areas. The question of the day is this. What does the Bible say? We want to pray and we want to know and we want to do God's will, but it foundationally begins with the Bible. 
And what we learn in the Bible is the Bible tells us the truth. The Bible tells us the truth about God. The Bible tells us the truth about ourselves or about me. And the Bible tells us the truth about others. And what we're going to do this morning is, is build a foundation for the rest of the series where how do we pray? We want to pray biblically. What does God's word say about himself? What does God's word say about me? And what does God's word say about others? And how are we going to respond obediently? In 1980, a psychologist came up with the Thatcher Effect, which is a psychological tool to evaluate how we see reality. And oftentimes, as you look at that photo of the singer Adele, you will, you will notice that she looks relatively normal and she looks good in the sense that everything is proportional and right. And that's the way our brain sees it because our brain tricks us to see things a certain way until you turn that picture upside down. And you recognize that exact same picture using the Thatcher effect has upside down lips and upside down eyes and is quite a little bit more disturbing. And maybe that's pre-makeup for her and then post-makeup, I'm not sure. We often do the same thing with the Bible. We filter the Bible through all of our past junk and we filter the Bible through what we wanted to say and how we want things to work. And we can do that with the Bible. We actually have a skewed view of what reality is because we don't actually view the Bible for what it is. So this morning, we're going to scratch the surface of those three points. What the Bible tells us the truth about God, about me and about others. Let me read you some Bible verses about what the Bible says about itself. In 2 Peter chapter number 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a God-inspired book, the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 16 and 17, it lays it out and it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If the Bible is breathed out by God, if it is inspired by the Holy Spirit God, if it really is what it claims to be, that changes our view of everything. I believe in all my heart that God's word is the inspired word of God. I believe absolutely that what the Bible teaches is true. But you realize that if it is true, that changes my perspective on absolutely everything. It changes my perspective on God. It changes my perspective on me. It changes my perspective on others. And the way I view everything is filtered through the word of God. And that's the same thing with our prayers. If we're to pray and ask God, I want to know and to do your will. It foundationally begins with, what does the Bible say? We're going to begin with that first point. The Bible tells us the truth about God. How do we know anything about God? It's through the Bible. 
What does the Bible actually say about God? Now we're just scratching the surface and throughout the scriptures, you will discover different attributes of God and God is described in various different ways to help us somehow understand and grasp the creator and sustainer of the universe. But the very first line of the Bible, Genesis chapter number one, verse number one begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of the universe. As we continue going through the Bible, we see the thread of the scripture and the line of the scripture. We see the redemption story of Jesus Christ being told throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end. And it begins with God created us. But it doesn't just leave us there. We, we recognize that throughout the Bible that the theme of God being a missionary God, God doing his part to go and and reach us. And now we can emulate that through our own missionary endeavors. And God gives us a purpose. We understand that God is a creator, but he also he created us with a purpose. The most famous verse in the entire Bible is John chapter number 3, verse 16. Many of you may have memorized it. If you're yet to memorize it, I would encourage you, memorize this verse. And this lays out the purpose of God. And it lays it out clearly. It says, for God so loved. God created the world because he loves us. Not because he had needs or not because he was empty without us. It's because he just said, I want someone to love. And I want to create a human race because I want to choose to love them. That's absolutely remarkable. What we discover as we look through the Bible, is time and time and time again a loving and a gracious and a kind God who's a missionary God who's done everything on his part to create us and sustain us and to bring us where we need to be to have a relationship with God. And any time we're confronted with the truth from the Word of God, it demands a response. The weather's starting to get warmer outside, except for this morning. The weather's start, starting to get warmer outside, and the buds on the trees are starting to come out. And soon enough, all you hay fever people will be suffering and whining. So right now, enjoy the calm before the storm. And as springtime comes, so do the snakes. And if you know the area around here, snakes are prevalent around this area. And of course, the most dangerous snake is the one that you don't see. But the one that you do see demands a response. And not that long, long ago, I was walking along a bush track and I came across the largest, and I mean this sincerely, like it wasn't this big and it really grew. It really was a big one. It was a huge dugai, the biggest dugai I've ever seen. And this was like the king or queen of the dugites was sitting there just on the edge of the pathway, sunning itself. And as I was walking along, I now had a choice. What am I going to do? Now, you've heard the, the account and people told you, don't worry, the snakes are more afraid of you than you are of them. Not this snake. It, it looked at me up, and, I, I know what I was thinking. It looked me up and down and go, I could take him. There's no, there's, I, I could definitely handle him. And the snake did not move. And so I thought to myself, now I have a choice. What am I going to do? When you come across a snake, particularly such a large snake, and it really was, its body was thicker than my wrist is. It was huge. It demands a response. You don't just ignore that and go, oh, it's fine, it's okay. 
Similar with the Word of God. When we discover truth in the Word of God, we don't go, well, that's nice, and continue on our way as if it was nothing. It demands a response that changes our life. And as we discover what the Bible tells us the truth about God, it also helps us understand the truth about me. I said me because I want you to personalize that. The God tells us the truth about me. And that's our second point. That continuing on that verse, John 3, 16, that verse continues on. It says, for God so loved the world. God did his part, the missionary God, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I underlined on the screen the words, whoever believes. Because anytime we understand and recognize the creator of the universe loves us and it demands a response, we have to go beyond the cognitive head knowledge of saying, okay, I understand there's a creator that loves and cares for me and sustains me and has a plan and purpose for my life. But we have to actually make that personal. That goes beyond simply religion, and it goes into relationship. And we have the wonderful privilege of having a relationship with the creator of the universe. And if it was me, and I'm by no means God, in my small way of thinking, I would have squashed mankind like an ant a long time ago and started all over again with some green men on some other planet and started and say, maybe they'll do better. But God says, I've created, make it personal, you. He's made me because he loves me. And he says, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, the gospel must be personalized. Throughout the scripture, we see three words. We see the words pray and give and go given throughout scripture in regards to our our ministry. We see the word pray. We're commanded to beg the Lord earnestly. We're, We're told to give generously for God loves a cheerful giver. We're also challenged to go not just locally, but to all nations. As it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the very last words recorded in the book of Matthew about Jesus' words. And it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then it goes on and gives instruction. We're commanded pretty explicitly to go to all the world and preach the gospel. In a moment, we're going to see a video of a man named George Demacos. And George Demacos is a missionary in Greece. And he's very special to my family because my wife, in her first year of Bible college, was happy to attend Bible college, and she was happy to serve the Lord. But she had a barrier in her life, previous to meeting me, of saying, God, I'm happy to serve you, but I don't want to serve you internationally. I don't want to leave America. And maybe you've prayed similar prayers and you've thought similar things. At Bible College, Mr. DeMarcos came and preached a message about totally surrendering your life. And during that message, my wife surrendered her heart and said, Okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And it's a good thing because the next year she met me. Just happened to work out that way. I'm grateful that my wife, when I met her in the very early days, never hesitated of, I want to return to Australia. 
and leave her family behind. And she's not, you know, she misses her family. It's, it, was a, it is and continues to be a choice and a commitment to, to serve alongside her husband, who she desperately loves, but also to serve the Lord here because she was called. And George DeMarcos is a man who's been serving for a number of years in Greece. And here's a video about him. Greetings from Greece. We love you all and we pray at this time where the mission work will explode and reach every nation and every person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm George Dimakos and I'm in Athens, Greece, and we are in a new building that we're building by the grace of God that we're going to join with the building that is existing so we can have more space. But I'm here to declare good news. Now, in June 27th, we're going to be 27 years in Greece as missionaries, and we have seen over 6,000 people come to Jesus Christ. And by His loving grace, we have established three churches. The need is great. Greece, 98%, they are lost without Christ, without hope, without heaven. In Greece, there's only three Greek-speaking Baptist churches. The need is great. Will you be the one? Matthew 9:38. our Lord told us to pray because the fields are ready for harvesting, but the workers are few. Will you be the one? People need the Lord. They must hear. If we don't speak, who will speak? If we don't go, who will go? Now is the time. As we see that the time of the second coming is approaching, let us pray more, let us evangelize more, and let us see more missionaries be sent in all the fields of the world, and especially Greece. We love you all in Jesus' name. We have the command to pray and to give and to go. And we often think that's a modern problem we have to overcome. In 1850s, a, a missionary was sent from England to China, a man named Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor is a well-known missionary that still his legacy is impacting the world today. And he famously is quoted as saying this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. We have a command to do all three of to pray, to give, and to go. And if you need help remembering that, just say pray, give, go as one word, but put an Italian accent on it. And it's kind of fun. Just think of that for a little bit. Because we see in Philippians chapter number 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That was written 2,000 years ago. Can you see how it's applicable in our lives even today, in our world today? among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. When God has done something remarkable in our lives and saved us from our sins, and we have believed in Jesus Christ and accepted his free gift of salvation, we look at that and go, that's wonderful, but we also can see that God can change other people's lives also. And one of the most wonderful things to see a person come to know Christ as a Savior. I had the pleasure of leading a person to Christ several years ago. 
And as she bowed her head in a prayer of acceptance, she rose after the prayer and opened her eyes. And her very first thought was, my family needs this too. And I'll never forget that line because it became something that was personal for her, but also recognized that other people need this too. And that's our third point. The Bible tells the truth not just about God and about me. He also tells the truth about others. The book of John, chapter number 3, verse 17. We read verse 16. Now we're going to read verse 17. It says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That last line again, the world might be saved through him. There's a wide and vast world with people that need to hear the good news of the gospel. Here's another video. My name is Abraham Stanislaus Magunila. I'm a pastor of the Bible Baptist Church of Oloren in Arusha, in the country of Tanzania. We have seen the importance of missions since it was the missionaries Tom Fords and Vernon Smith who brought the gospel to Tanzania. Everywhere we look, we see people who are in desperate need of the gospel. We see them living in the confusion and fear. We have the answer to their confusion and fear, and it is found in Jesus Christ. We need to pray together that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers. Will you pray with us as Jesus asked us to? Our world needs Jesus. Our church is going to participate in Project 938 on Sunday, October 2nd. My hope is that you will join us in this great endeavor. Thank you. If you look at the faces of the people in that video, you may never, you most likely will never meet them here on earth. And you recognize across the world there are real people. And when they come to know Christ as their Savior, and just like when you came to know Christ as your Savior, heaven rejoiced. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We see the world population is continuing to grow and to develop. And as of yesterday, when I checked it, there was 7.97 billion people on this earth. Every single day is estimated at 385,000 babies born. And somehow mine was the cutest. Every day there's new people being born. And we think, God, how could you possibly love everyone and know something about everyone? But that's why God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. It's estimated on November 15th of this year, our world population will increase to 8 billion people. And we look at that and think, wonderful, God, that's tremendous. You love every single one of them, but you also know things about every single one of us. And you intimately care for them just as much as he loves you. In Matthew chapter number 10, it lays out the fact that God cares for sparrows. And he says, you're much more important than sparrows. And it goes on in verse 30 and says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And he's making the lesser to greater argument. He says, if God loves and cares for birds, 
How much more will he love and care for and know about you as individuals? The question of the day is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach us about who we are before God? What does the Bible teach us about our response to the gospel for ourselves, but also to share it with other people? Those three points again is the Bible tells the truth about God, about me, and about others. I'm going to read Matthew chapter number 9, verses 37 and 38. And after that, we're going to have a word of prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to invite you to silently pray along with me and begin that habit of praying that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest and that he'll begin with you as an individual and seeking the Lord in what God wants you to do. And then through that, imagine what we can accomplish together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest.